Today's scripture will be from Daniel chapter 4. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar has had a second dream, and he's called Daniel in to tell him what it means. And that is, we'll begin in verse 18. And that is page 880 in the Black Pew Bible. Daniel chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven, and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you, Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, be, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of twelve months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was, filled against, was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar, he was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason was returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to all his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? 
At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the kingdom of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And turn in your Bibles back to Daniel chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through the end of the chapter. How did you sleep last night? You get your nap out? You missing that hour? Some are, I can tell. You've been dragging since you got here, right? I, um, I had a dream last night. It was 1.17 when I woke up. I was dreaming about one of my uncles, and uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a very good dream. And so it rattled me a little bit, and so you know how that is. It takes you a little while to go to sleep. And I was looking at my phone every now and again to see what time it was, praying, asking, begging God to help me go back to sleep. And um, I saw... Um, it was almost 2 o'clock, and then when I looked at it just a few minutes later, it was 3 o'clock. I was like, did I fall asleep? And I was like, oh, no, that's when daylight savings time changes. So they're going to miss that hour. So now it's 3, and I'm still praying, Lord. i got to preach. i got a long day. My alarm was set for like 5.15. I was like, that's a long day. i got to get some sleep. And finally, I, I eventually went to sleep. But, um, yeah, some of us are dragging. We, we lost that hour. You just have to go to bed early tonight, I suppose. But We see in our text this second dream of Nebuchadnezzar. His dream had him shaking a lot worse than mine was. If you remember, the first dream was interpreted by Daniel. The dream was this great image. You remember chapter 2? There's a great image. It's made of different materials, and the different materials represented worldly kingdoms that would reign on the earth, but... Each one of those kingdoms is overpowered by the other until there's an uncut stone, you remember, that, that hit that image and pulverized it, right? And that stone represents the kingdom of God. And we find, we learn from that interpretation from Daniel that that represents the kingdom of God. And it's going to last forever and forever and forever unlike the worldly kingdoms. And in chapter 3, we see King Nebuchadnezzar, he tries to make a statement, right? His kingdom is going to last. And so he makes an image, much like the one that he saw, but it was made of all gold, or at least covered in gold. A 90-feet image dedicated to himself, and he ordered that everyone would bow to it. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel's colleagues and friends from Jerusalem, who had been drug off in captivity, they refused so they were thrown into the fiery furnace. Changed their hair, and it, there was no smell of smoke in their clothes. Their their obedience to the Lord resulted in God being glorified. And Nebuchadnezzar was impressed. Let's look at chapter three, verse. 28 through 30, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. 
Therefore, I make a decree, any, patient, even any people, nation, or language that speaks against anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And what we've seen all along, God is faithful, showing himself to be mightier than the gods of the Babylonians. And Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they keep getting promoted, don't they? God's kingdom is like no other, and God is like no other. And Nebuchadnezzar has these miraculous encounters with God. He's had two up to this point. He's impressed, but he's yet to yield and bow his knee to God in repentance and faith. But in chapter 4, we see something has happened, something incredible, something miraculous. Nebuchadnezzar is sharing his story, his Testimony. What verse 2 says, what he has done for me. Look at, look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High, Most High God has done for me. That's what Brian did. He, he stood up and shared with the church what God has done for him. And so Nebuchadnezzar is doing the same. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And from Nebuchadnezzar, we've seen him paying homage to the Lord, right? When Daniel reveals the dream and the interpretation of the dream in chapter 2 of the image, Nebuchadnezzar is impressed. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're Rescued from the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is impressed. But up to this point, he's yet to bow the knee. But in chapter 4, we begin to see something has happened. And Nebuchadnezzar is sharing a story in verses 1 through 3. It's a, a summary after the event has taken place. And he's going to begin his story in verses 4. If I ask you right now, would you like to share your story with the church? You're a believer. I'm going to give you an opportunity to share your story. Most of you would decline the offer. And there's several reasons for that. Mostly because you're afraid to get up in front of people. You feel you're going to say something stupid or wrong. You don't look foolish. Most people would probably say that is the case, and I totally understand that. People say, well, you get up in front of people all the time. It don't bother you at all. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. But for some of us, we're just not very good in front of folks. For some of us, if I said, hey, won't you share your story with the church? You would say you're not equipped to make the most of your opportunities. Or you might say you're not ready to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's my fault because you're not equipped to do that. That's my job is to equip the saints, right? And for some, maybe it's you wouldn't feel excited about getting up and sharing your story because you don't have a story to tell. You're still lost in your sin and you've never been redeemed. You've never been born again. You're like, well, I don't get up and share my story because you don't have one. Well, here's the testimony of the king, and the king tells his story beginning in verse 4. We're going to pick up in 
verses 19. And we said last week that Daniel is a, is a godly servant and God uses godly servants. You remember from last week we looked at Daniel's life and we see him being different. He's one in whom the spirit of, he has the spirit of the holy gods in him. Verses 8, verses 9, verses 18. He knows God. Nebuchadnezzar says, you're different. There's something different about you. You're able to do things that all my other magicians, all my other wise men can't do. He was unlike all the others. He was also kind, you remember? He tells Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't he didn't want to tell him the bad news. He's interpreting this dream and he knows it's terrible. And he doesn't want to share it because it's terrible bad news for Nebuchadnezzar. And, and, and the Lord had given him affection for this pagan king. He's also loving because he shares truth, doesn't he? God uses, he used Daniel and he wants to use us. We said that last week just by way of review. And just think about people that God has used in your life. Anybody come to your mind? Maybe someone, maybe they were a Sunday school teacher. Maybe they were a neighbor. Maybe it was a, a mom or a dad or a grandmother or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle. Anybody in your life the Lord has used in a mighty way? I, I think about when I was in high school. I, I, my parents brought me to church. I never missed church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. This church sitting right there. About where James Hayes is sitting. That's where I always sit. I think about Chick Newt. Chick Newt was a deacon in our church for a long time, but he was my high school baseball coach. He loved the Lord. Recently I saw a picture of our FCA group, and it was a bunch of kids. There's a lot of people there. Lonnie, you were in that picture. And I, I think about him and how many times he faithfully shared the gospel in that FCA group. Faithfully sharing the gospel. And I was lost, didn't know the Lord. But I remember, and I'm so thankful for him. He's, he's, he's with the Lord now. He passed away. But I'm so thankful that he planted those seeds that the Lord watered. And eventually I became a believer. I was thinking about, Laura Lee, I was thinking about you. Laura Lee, she leads the FCA group at Covenant High School. And I just want to encourage you, don't grow weary in doing good. Because you're sharing the gospel and loving on kids and some of those kids are going to be saved because of the seed that's planted in their life. What about you? Anybody in your life you can think of that a godly servant he's used? God used Daniel, and he wants to use you, and he wants to use me. The second thing we see is God opposes the proud. You know, in life there's people that in your life that you really want to, to, you want to please, you want to kind of keep them on the, on the good side. You want them to be for you and not against you because their voice is rather loud. Not to say they're grumblers or complainers or always critiquing you, but you want them on your side. You don't want them to be mad at you because they can make your life pretty miserable. Well, we can all say that we don't want God to oppose us. We want him on our side. We want him to support us. He... The scripture says in James chapter 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Turn with me real quick to Leviticus. This was in my, I think, just a timely reading this morning. I was reading this in my study time. And Leviticus, turn back. If you've got your 
the black pew Bible there. It's page 124. This is part of the law of God he gave to the nation of Israel. And I want to look at verse 1 through 9. This is, I'm just going to read a few of these verses and we'll skip a little bit more. But along the lines of we want God on our side. We want God to oppose us. Look at verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourself or erect an image or pillar and shall not set up a figured stone in your land. I'm sorry. You go all the way to the, the far left. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It's the third book. I'm sorry, 26. 26. Thank you. I'm thinking y'all don't know where Leviticus is because sometimes that's a problem. Sometimes we uh, uh, assume things. You know, assumption is the lowest form of knowledge. We always assume things that aren't necessarily true. Right, Jenny? Yeah. Leviticus 26, I'm sorry. You shall not make an idol for yourself or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. See, they're going into the promised land, right? They're at Mount Sinai. They're on the way. They left. They're rescued from Egypt. They're on their pilgrimage, walking, traveling towards the promised land. You shall, verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbath and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the lands shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall go not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before the sword. Check this out. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. That's amazing, isn't it? God's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be for you. I'm going to be on your side fighting for you and with you. Look at verse 14. But if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease, and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. Oh, that's a blessing, huh? And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power, and I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. I will break the pride of your power. And then look at verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me, you know, that's a great way to communicate being in opposition to the Lord, not obeying the Lord, not being humble but being prideful. You walk contrary to me and will not listen to me. I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. Verse 23. And if by this discipline you are not turned to me but walk contrary to me, then I will also walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. Verse 27. But if in spite of this you will not listen to me but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury, and I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. We want the Lord on our side. We don't want the Lord to oppose us. All right, back to Daniel chapter 4. So Daniel is, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, has been given this warning. 
he comes by way of a dream. And there's a great tree. And the tree is enormous. So much so that it could be seen all over the earth. All the animals either rest in it or get its fruit from it. But there's a messenger, a holy one, who comes and gives instruction for the tree to be cut down. And so it's cut down. And there's a stump left where the dew and the rain will fall upon it. And what does Nebuchadnezzar, how does he respond when Daniel tells him, hey, that tree is you. That tree is you. You are to be cut down. You're to be humbled because you, you oppose the God of heaven. He's going to humble you for seven years. You're not even going to have the right mind. You're going to live like an animal. You're going to do that until you acknowledge the Lord, until you turn your eyes towards the Lord. But if you do that, he'll restore to you your kingdom. Verse 27, Daniel pleads with the Lord, Therefore, King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. He's exhorting Nebuchadnezzar, right, Jamie? Daniel's exhorting him to humble himself. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. But Nebuchadnezzar didn't heed the warning. He didn't listen to good counsel. Remember we said last week, Daniel's doing biblical counseling. He's just trying to teach Nebuchadnezzar truth, pointing out sin, pointing out truth to him, encouraging him, trying to help him live righteously, obey the Lord. But Nebuchadnezzar would not listen. Look at verse 30. And the king, he's walking upon his roof. We said that last week, right? Remember David was on the rooftop? Bad, bad place to be. Right? Bad things happen on rooftops when you're a king. Stay off rooftops. He's on his rooftop and he looks at his vast empire. Verse 30 is, Not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. What's he doing? He's taking credit for all that's taken place and He's saying, it's all about me. I did it, me, myself, and I. He took glory for himself, that which should have been given to God. Look what I've done. Look at me. He wants to be the center of attention, right? The only thing wrong with that is God wants to be the center of attention, and he wants to be center of our attention. And if you think about this great kingdom, Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom, it was great. And to some degree, that was true. Babylon was a great city. Archaeologists tell us that it was a city of about 2 million people at this time. And it had a great wall around it, which was really important in that day. And it was so big that they would have chariot races on top of the, the wall of the city. And they, they were, it wasn't just a drag race. It was a race where you could go four wide. In some places, the, the wall was 87 feet thick and 300 feet tall. And King Nebuchadnezzar was responsible for the great hanging gardens, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. 
So in some respects, he was quite successful through the world's eyes. But the problem is he's taken credit for all that has taken place because he's prideful. Pride refuses to depend on the Lord and erroneously believes that one is self-sufficient. In fact, the proud wants to sit in God's rightful place, taking credit for what he has done or what he has enabled us to do. Nebuchadnezzar refused to acknowledge God in his achievements. Think about Pilate. So I'm studying it came to mind. You remember Pilate was the governor who was overseeing Jesus' trial and at this point in time, in John chapter 19, verse 10 and 11, Pilate had Jesus scourged. And he's trying to get the crowd to release Jesus. And he said to Jesus, you will not speak to me? Jesus, he's been asking Jesus questions. Sometimes Jesus doesn't answer. Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is Pilate. He's kind of like Nebuchadnezzar. And Jesus says, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You only have this position because God gave it to you, because God is sovereign over all. He sets up kings. He takes replaces them. That's God's work. In fact, Daniel says that in Daniel chapter 2 in his, after he hears the interpretation or here's the dream and then the interpretation of Daniel chapter 2, and he's going to be able to save all the wise men from being executed. He prays that in Daniel chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. What good thing do we do what promotion did we receive? What paycheck did we earn that was not ordained by the Most High God? See, God's goal is that he be praised, and what does pride do? And it inherently works to gain praise for oneself. That's what the devil did, right? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14, tells us about his pride. Have you not, have you, how are you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, that's the devil. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart. You said in your heart. What's that mean? It means you're, this is what you desire. I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, it's a classic. It's one of those you should all read. and It's one of those you have to read and scratch your head and read again. But you, if you get through it, it's going to be real helpful for you. He says, pride is the great sin. He says, there is one vice of which no man in the world is free. When they see it in others, and of which hardly any people except some Christians ever imagine that they are, get, are guilt themselves. There is no fault which we are more con unconscious of in ourselves, and the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in 
others. Pride. King Nebuchadnezzar had a good dose of it, didn't he? And in chapters 1 through 3, we, he's been tutored about God's greatness, about God's sovereignty, but yet he was a slow learner. He failed to see God rightly. He failed to see himself rightly. He had seen God at work and had a year to humble himself, but he didn't. Verse 27, 28, Daniel's warning him a year passed before he was humbled. But pride is a sin that God will not tolerate. God opposes people that are proud. He opposed Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. And from a human perspective, Babylon was great, but God declares, I am the Lord, that is my name, I will not give my glory to another. And so in an instant, the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar, was brought low. Verse 33 describes the result of God opposing him. He was driven from among men. He was the ruler of the known world at the time. He was put out to pasture by the Lord. He ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Tells me he was out like a cattle, out in the elements. His hair grew as long as eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Quite the humbling experience, wouldn't you say? Just imagine. He's there, and people going out there just kind of gawking at him. You think about the people he's mistreated. You think they gave him an earful? Sure they did. But pride seeks to de-emphasize God, elevate the self, use other people. But the opposite of that is the humble. The humble seek to honor God, to take attention off oneself, and to serve other people. God opposes the proud. He opposed Nebuchadnezzar, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse 34 through 37 At the end of the days, that was seven years, right? seven periods of time, seven years, Nebuchadnezzar, notice it says he lifted his eyes to heaven. His reason turned to him and he blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. Psalm 47, verse 2, For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great king over all the earth, that Most High. There's none like him. And there were a lot of gods, little g gods, a lot of idols. Babylon was full of them. They had a pantheon. But there's only one that is the most high. We see King Nebuchadnezzar opposing the Lord by claiming to be the most high. He says, is this not the great Babylon which I have built? For the glory of my majesty. But we see this heart change, don't we? Of this prideful king. He lifted up his eyes to heaven. What's that mean exactly? What does it mean to lift your eyes to heaven? I, I Think about that for a second. Do you remember when you lifted your eyes up to heaven? If you're a believer here? You remember? Mine, I, sometimes people say, Well, you remember your day. You remember the year and all that. I... The way I remember that is I had a buddy of mine that he surrendered his life to the Lord. He repented and believed the same day. So that's how I know the date I was saved. It was November 25th of 1990. I lifted my eyes up to heaven. Lifted my eyes up to the Lord. It means that we 
We yield ourselves to the Lord. We've been living like this, and we repent, and we submit, and we yield, and we trust, and we obey. He cried out to God, submission. He tapped out. He's living like this, doing it his way, right? So Brian repeated over and over again in his story. I did what I want to do. I did what I want to do. I did what I want to do. And that's how we live our lives, like this. I do what I want to do. Even nice, sweet folks, sweet little grandmas, they can be sweet and nice, but in their heart, they can be doing this to the Lord, right? And we all do it. But for many of us in this room, there was a common point where we lowered our fists down, right? And then we raised our hands up in praise because God changed our lives. He gave us a new heart. It was read earlier that that heart of flesh, our heart of stone was taken out. We are given this heart of flesh and we began to, our heart began to change. We began to think God's thoughts and desire the things God desired and little by little it begins to change us. Proverbs 29:23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. That's what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. His pride brought him low, eating like cattle. But when he humbled himself, he obtained honor. And it, Scripture says that his, his kingdom was given back to him, and not, not just given back to him, but, but then it prospered. Because he yielded himself to the Lord. Proverbs 3, 34. Toward the scorners, he is scornful. Somebody's prideful, right? But to the humble, he gives favor. Nebuchadnezzar, he acknowledged God's greatness. He lifted his eyes to heaven and acknowledged God's greatness. He acknowledged his own insignificance. This is the last words of King Nebuchadnezzar. It's pretty awesome. I'll bless the Most High and praise and honor him who lives forever. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will. He's changed his tunes, hadn't he, from chapters 1 through 3. None can stay his hand means he's sovereign he's in control i used to think i was in control right the 90 foot image that he created i'm nothing left to myself i'm like an ox in the pasture verse 36 at the same time my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. That was, that was what Daniel told him. Right? Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, this is, this is the last words we hear from Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to see his grandson next on the throne. For all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble kind of the theme throughout the book it's not about Daniel it's not about Nebuchadnezzar it's about God and God is like no other and his kingdom will last forever 
Worldly kingdoms will come and go. Worldly kings will come and go. But God is eternal. We see God's goodness and how he goes to great lengths to draw sinners to himself. You think, well, that's kind of harsh. God kind of put that joker in a full Nelson and made him surrender. He took away his insanity, or he took away his sanity and made him insane. That's kind of wild. But remember, the same God who reduced Nebuchadnezzar to an animal is also the same God who sent Jesus to die for sinners. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 tells us, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has a heart for sinners, and he goes to great lengths to draw sinners to himself. And we're, we're, we can testify to that, right? Man, look what God did. He went to great lengths to save me, a, a sinner, and he got my attention. And for Nebuchadnezzar, he was losing his sanity and being put out to pasture. Like Brian, there was key events in his life the Lord used terrible hard things that the Lord let him go through to get his attention and many of us can say the same thing the Lord went to great lengths to rescue us and to save us just by way of application I think we need to beware of pride beware of pride before entering the promised land God spoke through Moses to his people Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 17. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. They already received the law. That, that generation, as Jamie taught us this morning, they all perished except for two. So he gives the law again, repeats it in Deuteronomy. This is what he says. Take care lest you forget the Lord. They're about to go into the promised land. This is an exhortation. A warning from the Lord. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and you do what? You forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of a flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this well. That's the warning he gave to the people of Israel. And that's the warning he gave to Nebuchadnezzar. Beware of pride. Pride is forgetting God. How about us? Are we taking credit for his enablement, his empowerment, the things that we see, the successes in life? Are we taking credit for them? I make a lot of money. I have a good job. I got a good education, blah, blah, blah. You did awesome. You're awesome. God's good. God's been good to you, right? God's been good to me. Let's give credit where credit is due and praise where praise is due. God has been good to us. 
Beware of pride. Are you prideful? Is pride keeping you from yielding to the Lord and crying out to Him for salvation? I think when we fail to acknowledge that God is God and we're not, when we refuse to acknowledge that everything we have comes from the Lord and that apart from the Lord we'd be nothing, we're setting ourselves up to be humble. But for some of us, maybe we're being humble. Maybe we're being humble. Some of you, maybe your marriage is in shambles. Maybe your finances are a mess. Maybe you're miserable. Could it be that you've been opposing God and God is in the process of humbling you so you'll lift your eyes to heaven? And you'll repent and trust God and be saved. If that's the case, I want to encourage you to repent and trust the Lord. We're all sinners. We live our lives like this. We all deserve God's worst. We all deserve God's punishment. Isn't it amazing? God didn't strike down Nebuchadnezzar in his pride. He struck down people for less things. But God allowed Nebuchadnezzar to live. And not only that, but he brought them back to his senses and Nebuchadnezzar looked up to heaven and yielded to the Lord. I want to encourage you to yield to the Lord. If you're a sinner and you've never repented, turned from your sin, you've never trusted the work Christ did on your behalf. See, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He, he lived a perfect life. He obeyed the law perfectly for sinners. Then he went to a cross. He was killed, not because he deserved it. He went to the cross willingly to pay sinners' debt. The wrath of the Father was poured out upon Jesus. The wrath that you and I deserve was poured out upon the Son. He bore it. He died. He was buried. But on the third day, He rose. The Bible says, so we could be justified. You and me, sinners like us, could be justified, be made right with the Father. And the Bible tells us we'll repent, we'll turn from our sin, and we'll trust what Christ did for us on the cross. We can be saved. We can be reconciled to God and have a relationship with Him. He said, well, I know God. I talk to God all the time. If you've never repented and, and trusted Christ, work on the cross as your own. All your, what you're saying ain't getting anywhere. What you've been communicating to and what you've been talking about is nothing. If you've never repented, I want to encourage you to repent and trust Christ today. Cry out to the Lord and be saved. Lift your eyes to heaven like Nebuchadnezzar did and cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm wrong. I've been wrong. I've done wrong, and I deserve your worst. But I know that you sent Jesus to die for me, and I know Jesus took my sin on that cross. He died in my place. I'm trusting that today, and I want you to save me. I encourage you to cry out to the Lord in, in prayer. For us as a church, we need to be We need to be on the, the lookout, on the alert, keep our guard up against pride. They well, how do I know if I'm, I'm prideful? Well, are you taking credit for things the Lord has done? Are you giving him credit for what he's done in your life? Also, I think verse 27 is really clear. He's telling the king that obedience to God's commands is going to stave off God's punishment because of his pride. Disobedience is the antithesis of pride. Are you, is your life characterized by obedience to the Lord? 
Prideful people don't obey the Lord. Humble people do. Are you humble? See, disobedience to the Lord always stems from some sort of arrogance. They refuses to humble themselves before God, refuses to yield themselves to the holy God who deserves our obedience. Let's exhort one another, as Jamie said this morning, and encourage one another to be humble, to live in obedience to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. Thank you for this text. Thank you for this example. Thank you that you go to great lengths to save sinners like Brian Billings, like Shane Hartsfield. We recognize that we can't save ourselves and we're at your mercy. But I pray today that if there's people here yet to repent and trust Christ, work on the cross as their own, that they would yield to you. You'd be gracious to them, grant them faith and repentance, that they would know you, the one true living God, the God most high, the God who gives eternal life to sinners because of what Christ has done. And Father, for us as a church, help us to be humble. We're all prideful. We all struggle with it every day. Help us to be humble people, obedient, looking to serve one another in love. Father, give us grace to leave this place and apply what we've heard, what we've learned in small group, what we've learned here in worship. Father, may the true songs we sing, may they be on our hearts and our minds even through this week as we go to and fro work and as we're at work, as at school and we're at home. May the meditations of our mind, our hearts be pleasing to you. Bless our efforts for all that we do for Wednesday night, our study time, for all the ministry that's going to take place this week. Just bless us and use us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. I want to encourage you. Wednesday night, come back. We'll have something for you on Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll eat. 7 o'clock, we'll study. Have a good week. <laughs>